Our Father in heaven, we do come to you because you love us and uh, because we are janky, but you loved us first. And you find us precious and you love us so much that you have taken away all of our sin and our debt and anything that would obstruct your relationship with us. And you've made us beautiful so that we can be with you forever. And you are our good Father, and you beckon us to come and just to live before you and make our needs known to you. And Father, everyone in here has needs, and every one of them is important in your eyes from those who have received just terrible news in the last few weeks to those who have ongoing struggles, to those who feel like their needs are too small to even publicly bring up. But we bring all of our needs to you now. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. If you were to ask Bianca, my wife, uh, what her favorite movie is, not her favorite children's movie, not her favorite cartoon, but her favorite movie, the movie that uh, if any time she sees it on, she's going to stop the remote control and watch it to the end, the movie that you could always pop in, she'd be like, yeah, let's watch this. It's The Incredibles. Uh, we, are, we grew up, raised our children in the perfect time to watch all the Pixar movies, and that is like her favorite movie in the world. She's probably seen it 20 times. Now, I think she loves it because it's about family pulling together. Yay. I also love the movie because it's about a middle-aged superhero who's gotten fat. I don't know why that appeals to me. You, you figured out. But uh, we both love this movie, and there's a great scene in it. If you haven't seen it, it's about these superheroes who've gotten married, and superheroism has been outlawed for some reason, and so they can't go around fighting crime anymore. And the man, Mr. Incredible, has gone back into fighting crime secretly. He sneaks out at night and captures a criminal. That's, that's what he loves to do. And the wife, who is Elastigirl, um, knows that he's doing something, but he, she doesn't know what. And she begins to think he's having an affair. And she um, finds out that he's gone to get his super suit repaired, and she's gone to, uh, and the, the woman who repairs her super suit is, uh, is Edna, Edna Emode. Uh, and she, um, she goes to her to find out what's Mr. Incredible up to. And she finds out he's got a whole secret life. And she begins to cry. And she's crying and she's crying. Oh, what can I do? What can I do? <laughs> and Edna, who's about this big, jumps up on the table and walks over to her and grabs a newspaper and starts slapping her. Poof. You are a lasted girl. You are a superhero. You are not some weakling sitting at the end of the table. Get up and go find him and remind him who you are. 
And I just love that scene. It's, I watched it over and over again to get ready for this sermon. It's all I did to study. And because um, it's this beautiful moment of someone reminding. She, she doesn't make her into a superhero. She reminds her, you are a superhero. You are something much different than all this. You're not weak. You're not helpless. You're not powerless to make change. You're a superhero. Well, you're not superheroes. Um, But you're something much greater. You're something much more powerful, much more beautiful. And the last two years have been brutal. Let's just be honest. We've all kind of taken it on the chin or in the stomach or both. Taken it on the chin so much their stomachs have got bigger. I don't know. But um, I think we need reminding. There's a, there's a tendency for us all to feel beaten down. So much so that I don't think anybody has made any New Year's resolutions. We've just given up on them, Right? And I want you to know you still need to make them. And I want you to make one this year. I want you to make the resolution to be who you are. And I've got good news for you. This resolution comes with a guarantee. Nothing makes me turn an ad off faster than a guarantee, right? uh, Last year, I, I did make the New Year's resolution to lose 15 pounds, and I downloaded this app that costs $40 a month and came with a guarantee. All I need to do is lose 15 pounds, 25 more, and this is in the bag. (laughs) Thank you for doing the math. But this resolution comes with a guarantee that you will be effective and fruitful. A guarantee from God himself. Please stand as we read from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm sorry, verses 3 through 11. And be reminded that if you will grow into what you already are, then you will have everything you need to be fruitful and effective. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, This is not the right passage. Second Peter. I'm sorry, we're supposed to be in Second Peter. Is that what's in the bulletin? Did I do that? I probably did that. That's 100% on me. All right. It's okay. You can listen to it the way it was done for thousands of years with four projectors. Hear this. It isn't right in the bulletin. It's right in the bulletin. It is right, correct in the bulletin. Hear the word of the Lord again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own excellence and glory, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Remember who you are, and you have everything you need. Remember who you are. The first thing for us to see in this text is that we're not trying to become something. No one's looking at you and saying, become a superhero. Uh, You have everything you need. I want you to hear those words, right? You have everything you need because you have been made a partaker in the divine nature. I want us to park right here for a second. You've been made partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? We know what human nature is. You know, human nature is your DNA, it's your body, it's this chin, it's this toothpick leg build I've got, it's it's what you've inherited from your parents. Uh, But it's more than that, it's also our personalities, it's our sin. It's our selfishness. That's our human nature, and we inherited that by being human. We inherited that from our uh, first parents, that we seek independence instead of seeking dependence upon God, that we don't like being dependent upon Him, that we don't like needing Him. But, but that's been changed. When we uh, were, came to Christ, we were born again. We're a new creation. The old is gone. And part of this new creation is that we are partakers of the divine nature. That means you have new DNA. You're different. You've got a new spirit, a new soul. There are new things that you love. There are things that you used to love that you now hate. There are things that you can do that are much greater than anything you had imagined. We're not asking you to be something that you're not. We're telling you who you are. If you've ever read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, you know the story, right? This little boy, he's a, he's a wimp. He gets beat up by his, his uh, cousin every day. He lives under the stairs. He gets wire hangers for Christmas. He's sad. He's whiny. He's a little pathetic. And then one day, this huge giant of a man shows up and says, it's your birthday, Harry. You get to come with me. And, and Harry says, why? I'm just a little boy. And he said, and, and the giant looks at his parents and says, you haven't even told him who he is? You're a wizard, Harry. A right good one. 
And some of us are living in this stupor. It's like no one has told you who you are. You are a son of God. That doesn't only mean that you're going to get a nice inheritance one day. That means you have new DNA. You're different. You have abilities to do things that you never thought you would. You're not trying to earn it. You're trying to become what you are. Right? You're not trying to earn God's favor, but because you have God's favor, part of what he has already given you is a new heart. He's given you his spirit. You are already different. Now, that doesn't come automatically. Just because the the DNA is there doesn't mean it just springs to life. It it really doesn't. You know, you can take um, the son of a professional football player. Let's, let's, just, let's just genetically encode the greatest athlete ever, right? Let's take, um, you know, the, the greatest WNBA basketball player and the best football player and, and have them have a child, and he's got all the DNA to be a superstar in whatever field he chooses to grow in, pursue. But what? Well, if he's a baby, that's not going to do him any good. You can't set a baby on a football field, right? That'd be stupid. He'd get just smashed. You still got to grow up. It takes time and it takes training. It takes time. Boy, we hate that one. A lot of time. And it takes training. But you have everything you need. For you to grow to be like Christ, you have everything you need. And so Peter tells us, he he asks us, become what you are. How does he tell us to become what, what we are? He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, don't get scared, okay? It's not trying to add something to faith. We're, we are a faith alone church, and, and we always will be. And you are saved by faith alone, but what and you know what that means. You're not, it's not like God weighs your works one day and goes, I'm sorry, you weren't good enough, you're out. Uh, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by trusting in Jesus, putting your faith upon Jesus, putting your weight upon him. He has already paid your debts. He paid those debts upon the cross. And when you embrace him, you receive everything that he is and all of his benefits. And, not but, and all those benefits begin that moment. All of those benefits begin that moment. Um, It's as if initiating your faith upon Christ is like plugging a a plug-in into an outlet. It's not alone. Plugging it into the outlet makes the potential there (laughs) for all kinds of things. But you get to turn on all the lights. You still have to turn them on. And, and I want you to see that. You're, you, you're supplementing it. True faith, what the re- reformers and everybody since have said is this. We are saved by faith that is alone, faith alone, but faith never comes alone. We supplement that faith with virtue, with knowledge, with, with kindness, with gentleness, with self-control. We supplement it. Uh, what does that mean? Um, Peter's saying, 
Well, what does, what does James say? James says, uh, you say you, I have, you have faith and I have works. I tell you, show me your faith apart from works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe that. You ever thought about that? Isn't that funny? It's an interesting thing to think about. I ask some people sometimes how they know they're a Christian. And they'll say, well, because I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I'll say, well, Satan believes Jesus died on the cross. He saw it. He was there. What do you have more than that? Um, another way to think about it is this. If, if I walked into the room and found you lying on the floor and I wanted to know if you were alive or not, I wouldn't go check through your files for a birth certificate. I would check you for a pulse. And what Peter is saying here is have a pulse. Have a pulse. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at this, uh, over the next six weeks. We're going to be looking at the different qualities and the different characteristics that people who have a pulse uh, demonstrate and how to, to improve those. And, and we'll start here with Peter. And, and there's a lot of, he talks about a lot of uh, characteristics here, and we're going to have to brush over them kind of broadly. But we'll come back to them. Don't, don't worry about that. Peter's saying, become who you are. Make every effort, right? To go back to, to Harry Potter. Harry was a wizard. He already was a wizard. But he still had to go to Hogwarts and learn how to be a good wizard. Learn how to control what he had. Learn how to improve what he had. You are, you are the divine nature. You have the divine nature. And you need to learn how to use it. How do you use it? By, by supplementing your faith with virtue. Virtue is one of those hard words to define. But you know when you see it. <laughs> it means be, be good. Be a good person. Not a goody-goody person. Be a, the kind of person that people fall in love with when they meet them. Don't be snide. Don't be cynical. Don't be critical. Be, be kind. Have, have a virtue. Uh, have integrity. Be one thing. Uh, the, my favorite definition of, of virtue is uh, from a guy named Nate Larkin. He said that the only way to have true integrity is to have fierce honesty about your sin and humble reliance upon Jesus. Be fiercely honest about who you are. He says add to, to virtue knowledge. 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 What does that mean? Is he talking about just kind of adding a bunch of theology? I hope so, because I love that stuff. Unfortunately not. He's not talking about that. He says in uh, verse 3, uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. It's knowledge of God, knowledge of a person. It's not just knowledge of theology or knowledge of the Bible. Those things are, are wonderful. I've spent a lot of my life pursuing those. Uh, but you know what's funny? Every pastor who came to seminary to preach to us, everyone, at least three times a semester, we would hear somebody preach a whole sermon on 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you arrogant. Knowledge makes you think you're better. But love sanctifies. That's what we're looking for. We, we do need to grow in our knowledge, what we understand. You need to grow in your knowledge of the difference between justification 
being declared holy by the Lord in your sanctification. You're growing into that holiness. Confusion of those two leads either to, to just terrible presumption, this idea that you can you know, be a Christian because of something that you know without it ever showing in your life. Or to this per- place of, if you confuse, confuse the two, you, you'll likely end up in a place where if you're not holy enough, you have no assurance of your salvation because you think that you're saved by your sanctification. And if that conversation really confuses you, I encourage you to add knowledge to your, your character. Let's, let's, let me explain that to you. Get into a study where we can explain that. It's extremely important. Add, uh, supplement your faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control. Self-control is not just willpower. Self-control is the ability to say no, right? No to your anger, no to your, your appetites, no, no to your flesh. Uh, but it's not just willpower. Willpower is a very limited thing. I have about that much, you know. And so um, I really am. I've used this illustration too many times today, sorry. But I really am trying to knock off a few pounds. And the very first thing we did in this diet, my wife and I, because our kids are out of the house finally, um, is the first day of our diet we threw away probably $50 worth of food. It's like, get it out of the house. We don't need this. If it's here, I'm going to eat it, period. I may be able to make it all day without eating it. It might be 11 p.m. when my wife is asleep, but I'm going into that kitchen. But if it's not there, I won't. See, that's self-control. Self-control says, if I have that channel on my television, then I'm going to turn to it and watch things I shouldn't. Self-control says, um, if I have alcohol in the house, I'm going to drink it and drink too much of it. It's knowing yourself and putting yourself in a place to win. And if there's a sin that's tripping you up, and there is, (laughs) you control yourself so you know where to walk and not fall into those potholes add add to your your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and endurance endurance i hate that one that's the hardest one why endurance time life plus time equals something incredible Life plus time, an acorn versus a slab of concrete. Which one's going to win? Well, depends on how you do it, right? If you're out there trying to break up a slab of concrete by hammering acorns into it, not only are you not going to break up the concrete, but we're probably going to take you to a clinic somewhere and get some help for you. Everybody knows that an acorn can't beat up a slab of concrete. But given the right conditions, planted next to the concrete, and just left there for years and years and years. What happens? A huge oak tree grows. The concrete is buckled. You have to hire somebody to come out and and move away the concrete. And and the oak tree continues to grow, and it bears fruit, and all of its fruit bears fruit, and all of its fruit bears fruit. And if given enough time, one single acorn has produced enough wood to cover the earth. One. Given enough time. And we hate that, right? I mean, 
I got a new iPhone a couple weeks ago because my iPhone was taking three, four seconds to load pages. Like, I can't tolerate this kind of lag. <laughs> I got things to do. I can't wait three seconds to open Facebook. Come on. You know, given enough time. Lord, haven't I suffered enough? I've had a headache since this morning. Haven't I suffered enough? What does the Lord tell us? First Peter 5, After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, will restore, com- confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Endurance. Add to your, your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, endurance, and finally, brotherly affection. You knew I was going to skip that one, didn't you? Brotherly affection. There's all kinds of words for love in Greek, right? There's eros, there's agape. The one he uses here is very specific. It's, it's Adelpha, Adelphi. It is, it is friendship. It is uh, it, two people uh, looking at the same thing, encouraging each other, leaning on each other, loving each other. It's friendship. Friendship is very important to this church. We want you to say, be able to say, if you've been a member of this church for any time at all, I want you to be able to say that my best friends go to that church. That, that's something we, we take very seriously. Get friendship. And he adds the word brotherly. You know the power of siblings, right? Somebody that you've grown up with, that you've shared a room with for years and years, that you've talked to every night when the light's out, talking about uh, things you hate, things you love, things you want, people who are just intimate with you, that, that one person who knows you better than anyone. Imagine now the power of, of siblings who are friends. That's just special. That's, that's the kind of thing that makes people who don't have that envy them. That's what I've prayed for for my boys since the day the second one was born. And that's, that's what Peter is saying. Brotherly affection. Love. Loving each other. It's supernatural to be able to love somebody like that who's not in your family. Because you need something in common. And Jesus has given us that. And it is sanctifying. It is sanctifying. We in this church stress very much that fellowship is unto godliness. That fellowship is an important key to becoming more godly. You know why? Because a book is never going to say, hey, I'm talking to you. Not even the Bible will ever say that. You can read the most convicting passage in the Bible and come away with, boy, I know some people who need to hear that. But friendship. Somebody who loves you enough to say, you should never talk to your wife that way. Loves you enough to say, you cannot ever talk about your husband that way. Loves you enough to say when your honesty has become self-pity. That's an easy line to cross, isn't it? And you won't know. And you need somebody in your life to tell you. Somebody who loves you enough that they're going to make you angry. I mean, the most important conversation I ever had lasted about ten words. I said, 
I was driving a bunch of people in a car. I'd just gotten turned down for my 10th job in 12 months. And I was just baffled about why anybody would turn this down. And you laugh, but I really was. And uh, I said to a carload of people, four of my very close friends, and I said, I just feel like the guy who's sitting at the table with a big glob of mustard on his chin, and everybody's laughing at him, and nobody's willing to tell him to wipe his chin. And Fritz Games, who was sitting right there, said, Ricky, you have a chip on your shoulder that's so big, nobody can get close to you without knocking it off. That was it. The conversation was over. About five minutes later, Kevin Teasley said, some of that's kind of hard to hear. <laughs> like dying to break the tension. Do you have anybody in your life with permission to go there? You won't get better without it. What happens when we have those things? He gives us this wonderful promise at the end. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You will never fall. Verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 11. In this way, they will be richly, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think, what does he say? He says, if we will practice at being who we are, we will become who we are. We'll become it. It's going to be glorious. It's going to take time, but it's going to be glorious. This is a very special promise to me. It's one of the first things I learned as a pastor. I was, uh, I was doing campus ministry in a small town in Mississippi, and this small town had a small woman in it. She was, her name was Libba Dean. Libba Dean, uh, by the time I got to know her, she was about this big. She had been diagnosed with a, a form of arthritis that, that caused her to wither from the extremities. She literally, her arms withered, her legs withered, and she was just a body. And she had to rely upon somebody uh, to come and dress her and take her to the restroom and feed her breakfast and lunch and dinner. She had to rely on somebody else to do that for 13 years while her body slowly withered away. And she was so sad when she found out she had this. And she was sad because she thought all opportunity for ministry was gone. She was the principal of the local Christian school. Everybody loved Miss Libba. And she had to leave the school and go to the hospital where she would live only with these people with one trip out a week. And that trip out per every week was going to church. And she would be sitting right there. She would always ask how she could pray for you. She, she got sad, of course. But she was always concerned about you. When she found out she was going to the hospital, my pastor read her this passage. He said, Libba, I don't know why the Lord's taking your ministry away. Taking that ministry away. But this passage says, if you work on your character, you will be fruitful and effective. And we're going to trust God at his promise. And when God mercifully finally took Libba home, 
I think the entire hospital was at the funeral. Never seen so many strangers in that church. So many people were there. And one nurse was converted that day. She came to my pastor and she said, can you please tell me about the Jesus that Libidine knew? Time. But time that leads to glory. Time that leads to glory. In this way, there will be a richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. What's that going to look like? How wonderful is that going to be? C.S. Lewis imagined it. And she imagined it like this. He imagined it like this. He said he saw this woman who was almost pure light. And he's, uh, this is in The Great Divorce. He's imagining this woman going into heaven. He says, first came bright spirits, not the spirits of men who danced and, and scattered flowers. Then on the left and right at each side of the forest avenue came youthful shapes, boys on one side, girls upon the other. If I could remember their singing and write down the notes, no man who read that score would ever get sick or old. Between them went the musicians, and after these a lady, in whose honor all this was being done. I, I cannot remember if she was naked or clothed. If she was naked, then it must have been the, the almost visible shadow of her courtesy and joy, which produces in my memory the illusion of a great and shining train that followed her across the happy grass. If she were clothed, then the illusion of nakedness is doubtless due to the clarity with which her inmost spirit shone through the clothes. For clothes in that country are not a disguise. The spiritual body lives along each thread. But I have forgotten, and only do I partly remember the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it, is it, I whispered to my guide? No, not at all, said he. This is someone you've never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golders Green. She seems to be a person of particular importance, I said. Aye, said he. She is one of the great ones. You've heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. Isn't that beautiful? The anonymous. The people who love every child that come into their, their, their presence. Love every person who come into their presence. Love every animal that comes into the present. He says they will be the great ones. You're a superhero. You have the divine nature. Become what you are. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we know that you gave your son for us so that we wouldn't stay like we are. So that we would not stay weak and dead in sin, but we would be alive, new creations, producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would be at work in our hearts and in our souls, making us beautiful, that we could be like you and with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray.